Well, it is our privilege again to look at 2 Corinthians. As we tiptoe our way through, we have some wonderful passages the next few chapters. We're going to take a break, I think, after chapter 7, but uh, we still have quite a ways to go before then. Today we're in chapter 5, verse 17, and then just the first little phrase of 18, or first sentence of 18. And the passage says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God. We sing a hymn, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. And here before us, we have one of those glorious things that the Bible speaks about those who are his children. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Becoming a Christian is more than a shift in what one believes. It's more than an adoption of a new moral standard. It is more than entrance into a new community. It is becoming a new person. The old things pass away. New things come. Once we are in Christ, we act differently, we think differently, we relate differently, we view things differently. We've been changed, we've been made new. So we now see things from a new and higher perspective. This is what we're, the verse before it was talking about. When it talked about how now we see things not according to the flesh... We are given a new vantage point from which to view the world. The sun has risen in our hearts and his gleaming rays make everything look different. As 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, we have the mind of Christ. Now if verses like this were all that we had, we might conclude that this miraculous work God does in the heart of human beings eradicates all of the sinful aspects and tendencies of our lives and hearts. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And also something similar in Romans 6.6. Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. But the fact that Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians is sufficient to help us know that that's not what he's talking about. For the Corinthians were the most sinful of all the destinations of Paul's letters and had the most struggles. They certainly were still struggling with sin even after coming to Christ. Plus, there are many other scriptures which talk very differently, 
using the same kind of ideas but speaking of them in a different way. For instance, in Ephesians 4, 22-24, it talks about the old self not as something that's just obliterated, but as something we still struggle with. Telling us to put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And perhaps Romans 7 17 to 21 is the place that helps us understand it the most even though it will cross your eyes just reading it that is you know like cross-eyed confusing um, this passage says things that that uh, sound like you know our sins obliterated and then it talks about it in a very different way in the next sentence So now it is no longer I who do it, that is I who sin, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So, you see, you can't just pay attention to the things in the Bible that you, that you agree with or, or understand or feel comfortable about and ignore the other things. This passage, on the one hand, says that when I sin, it's not actually me who's sinning, but it's sin within me. So in that notion, or that verse, the me is the new me. But then it goes on to refer to the flesh as me in verse 18. And in verses 19 and 21... The, the, the me, the I, is sometimes referring to the old man and sometimes referring to the new man. The point clearly is this, that there are two selves here being referred to. As Galatians 5.17 says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. This is the war that's going on inside of each one of us. But it is also true that the new self is indeed the truer self. The old self may still have to be resisted, and it does, but it in fact has received a mortal wound and it will eventually be gone. Not in this life, but in the next The new self, on the other hand, is the self of our future. It is growing and deepening, even while the other, hopefully, is losing its power over us. And not only is it growing growing and deepening, but it is expanding and eventually will hold sway over us completely on the day of resurrection.
So we're talking today about this work that God does in the human heart. This new creation. So let's think about it a little bit more deeply. The Bible uses a number of different images to speak about this change that God produces in the human heart. Here it's called new creation. Jesus to Nicodemus referred to it as new birth, being born again in John 3. Paul in Ephesians 2 refers to it as a resurrection, that God brings life to to those who are dead. Deuteronomy 30 and Romans 2 refer to it as a circumcision of the heart. Ezekiel 36 refers to it as a heart of stone being changed into a heart of flesh. And then in that same verse, that it refers to it as God putting a new spirit in his people. Jeremiah 24-7, giving them a new heart to know God. And in Acts 16-14, it refers to it as the Lord opening a person's heart to respond to the gospel. Different kinds of language. All referring to the same act of God. But exactly what kind of change are we talking about here? It's certainly not merely a change in our... It's not a change in our bodies or merely in our brains. We are more than bodies. We are body and soul. And souls are not material. They are spiritual. Some think talk of spiritual things is talk of make-believe. But this is... But we believe that we have souls and that these souls are the place where we relate to God. Now, are we talking about a psychological change? Well, that's a very interesting question. The English word psychological comes from the Greek word psuche, meaning soul. And when the field of psychology began, the practitioners believed in the soul, and thus called it psychology. But today, now that the evolutionary worldview has, is prevailing in America... They, there is no notion of anything besides the physical. And so psychology has become the study of the brain, not the study of the soul. And so in today's language, you can't refer to regeneration, the change that God brings, as a merely psychological change. It's a change of the soul. In our souls, you see, we were dead in sin. We were dead toward God. And now we've been made alive in Christ. Ephesians 2, 1-5. And our passage tells us all this is from God. 
Just as the original creation was a result of God's divine fiat. Now, I'm not talking about the car. If you're not familiar with the word fiat, and I'm sure there are a few people here who are not, let me take a minute because it's a great word for Christians to understand. A fiat is when God speaks, and by speaking, it makes the thing happen. So when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, by his fiat, Lazarus is raised from the dead. And when God says, let there be light, there is light. His word, his declaration, his command, his order makes it happen. And just as then in the original creation when God said, let there be light, light came. So it is with this new creation. As it says in 2 Corinthians 4, we already went through this passage. For God who said... Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is the work that he's doing. Now, we will be fully resurrected on the last day, body and soul, when Christ returns. But we who are in Christ have been partially resurrected even now. The resurrection process that will be finished on the last day has already begun in our hearts. That's what the Bible tells us. We have come alive in Christ. And his life has begun to flow into us. Empowering us to live new lives. Transforming us from the old man who did everything according to the flesh into a new man who operates according to the will of the Lord, according to the Spirit of Christ. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Galatians, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then in Romans 6, our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we will no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're talking today about one of the most beautiful things that Christ does. And I'm sure that you, like me, when you love to hear stories of God transforming hearts, transforming lives, bringing people to faith. And and some of us have our own stories and ways that God turned on the lights and turned us from, from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. And some of us don't. And that doesn't mean that it hasn't happened. It just means it's happened in a way that hasn't been dramatic. I, I, I go to tears every time I hear a story of, of God's work in a person's heart. You know, there's a, I told you one in, uh, in Sunday school, I told some of you one in Sunday school 
a few months ago, we were um, talking to this uh, woman that we just met and uh, found out she's Christian. So I ha- we asked her how she became a Christian. And she said she'd grown up an a- as an atheist, an atheist home. And she um, went to work at Airly right over here. And she befriended a couple, she had a couple friends over there who were Christians. And one night she was spending the night at their house and late into the night, you know, she's 19 years old at the time, they're staying up late and talking about things that you probably wouldn't talk about in normal, you know, on your break kind of things at work. And so she confessed to them that she had this strange thing that had been happening over the last few months in her life, and that's that she kept hearing her voice called. And she'd turn around, there'd be no one there, but she heard her voice called out. And, and it kept happening over and over again. And one of the friends that she was with said, have you ever read the story of Samuel? And opened up the story of Samuel and read her the story of Samuel. And that night, she, she knew that it was God who was calling her through that story and through her own experience. And, you know, the one that uh, Ben and Michelle call Solomon had a similar experience. He had a dream one night. You know, he's a Muslim. And, of course, they believe in Jesus as a prophet, so they know something of the name of Jesus. And One night, he has this dream that Jesus is calling him. And he's, he's far off, and he can't, he can't get to him. Jesus is calling him, but he can't get there. He can't get there. And so... He wakes up the next morning and he has this clear sense that Jesus is ultimate reality and Jesus wants me. And he comes to Ben and he says, you know, what do I do? And he comes to Christ through, through that. God turns the heart, changes the heart. Some of us remember that uh, wonderful, fun Steve Tripuck, who was part of our church years ago. Six foot ten on scholarship at uh, George Mason University um, for volleyball, and uh, he's on a he's traveling with the team, and he's this is during the days of uh, Promise Keepers. He's st- they're staying in a hotel, and he's walking down the hotel hall, and there's a door open, and there's a TV on, and Promise Keepers is going on, so he just stops and listens. And 45 minutes later, he's on his knees in prayer. He never, never thought about Christ or never had any interest. And by, in 45 minutes' time, God had just taken him, your mind, and transformed him. And we could, I wish that somebody would just write books that would just tell people stories because they're so precious and so beautiful. But God does this work. And it is really the greatest miracle that God does on earth. I mean, his sending his son was the only thing that could be compared. But in our day, it is the greatest miracle God does on earth. Healing the human heart is far greater than healing the human body. I mean, think about it. There are things that medical science can heal right now that 50 years ago would have been a miracle. It would have required a miracle to be healed. So 50 years just 
in 50 years time man can now do this and things now that would require a miracle in 50 years man will be able to do some of them that it's a great miracle when God heals a body but it's not the same as when he heals a soul opening a heart of stone is far greater than opening the Red Sea Giving eternal life to one dead in sin is far greater than giving a few more years of life to one who's died and been declared dead. This is such a great miracle that the Old Testament actually prophesies the day when God would do this kind of miracle on the earth and, and change people's hearts. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, your Lord, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Jeremiah 24, 7, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. Jeremiah 32, I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And then there's the story of Ezekiel and the valley of dry bones. Which is a whole vision as well as prophecy pointing forward to this present age when God would bring many to life in his son remember the Lord brings Ezekiel into a valley full of very dry bones son of man can these bones live and the prophet says oh Lord you know wise answer speak my word to these bones God says so he does And as he speaks, there's this great rattling sound and the bones come together and then ligaments and then flesh upon them and then they're covered by skin and then God breathes breath into them and they live and they stand on their feet an exceedingly great army. In the same way, I will put my spirit within my people and they shall live and know that I am the Lord. Now you might think that turning a bunch of dry bones into a living human being is about the greatest miracle you could ever do. But he's, no, that's just an analogy. That's just an illustration of a far greater transformation that God does to make people come alive inside who are dead in sin. This is what it means to be in Christ. It means to be a new creation. This is what it means to be a Christian. You can identify as a Christian. You can believe all the doctrines. You can follow the morality to a T. You can be the most active person in a church. But if you haven't been transformed by Christ into a person, a new person, a person who loves Jesus, then you are not a Christian. I realize that this is offensive to some people. I was recently talking to my mom and she reminded me 
of, of this, that many people would, would count it uh, arrogant to say, to try to tell people who is a Christian and who isn't a Christian. We're not talking about reading people's hearts. We're just talking about reading the Bible and finding out what it says a Christian is. You see, when God tells us what a word means, we have no right to change the definition. The Bible tells us what marriage is, and if we point to something else that's not, that what he says marriage is, and say, that's marriage, that doesn't make it marriage. What marriage is, is not up to us. Marriage is God's thing. Just like Christians are God's things. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, if I decide I'm not a sinner, that doesn't make me not a sinner. In fact, it proves that I'm a sinner. It proves that I'm not even a Christian. That's what the passage is saying. The truth is not in us if we say that. Now, I can protest and say, yes, the truth is in me. But that doesn't make it true. If the Bible tells us what a Christian is, then people don't have the right to call themselves Christians based on their own standards. Being a born-again Christian The the group that we might refer to as born-again Christians, that's not a subset of Christian. You know, there's all different kinds of Christian, and this kind of Christian is a born-again Christian. That's not what the Bible says. All true Christians are born-again Christians. Now, that's fine. Sometimes we use the word Christian to refer to people who call themselves Christian. And I'm not saying that we should fight over that that kind of language. All I'm saying is when we're talking about a true Christian, that's what a true Christian is. It's not a matter of how you identify yourself. It's a matter of how Christ identifies you. I grew up in the Unitarian Church. And many people in the church were atheists. Most. But the Unitarian Church was originally started as a church of folks who believed in God but didn't believe that Jesus was divine. And in this church that I grew up in, one of the big questions that they were always talking about, they even had Sunday school curriculum to to begin discussions about this question, was, are Unitarians Christians? As if the definition of Christian was up to us. You can call yourself a Christian all day long. But if God hasn't miraculously regenerated your heart so that you know him and now live in Christ, the Bible says you're not a true Christian. My beloved friends in Christ, if Christ is real, and if Christ meant what he said, then we are new creations. 
Even if you haven't had the dramatic experience, if you love Jesus, you are a new creation in Christ. That's what God says. First of all, this is something for us all to celebrate and give praise to God for. We so often focus on the part of us, the old man that still hangs on and is so hard to slay. And that's fine. We should be aware of that and be involved in that battle. But the glorious thing is that that's not the whole story. God has changed us. God has made us new people. We have a new identity, a new home. We have a new reality that is taken place and has dominance in our lives. Something that we should celebrate. We're not who we should be. But we're not who we used to be either. And we're not who we one day will be. Because Christ isn't finished with us yet. But it also means that things need to change in our lives. If Christ is in us... We're not to be slaves of old sin patterns anymore. We are alive in Christ. There's no place in the life or heart of believer for lifelessness or hopelessness. New creatures should act new. We're not what we used to be. The old must be resisted. The new must be encouraged Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him or it the new, created the new self that's Colossians 3 we have two natures the old flesh and the new creation you might have heard this story if you've been around here a long time or heard from some other preacher but it's a useful one. The stories of a man in Alaska who lived outside of town and brought his two dogs into town every Friday night. A black and a white dog. And every, do- night, every Friday night they'd have a fight. And they'd all bet on who was going to win the fight. And every single week he would win the bets. If he bet on the black dog, the black dog would win. If he bet on the white dog, the white dog would win. Every week. And one night, somebody finally got him to admit what his secret was. He just fed the dog he wanted to win. That week, he'd feed the dog that he wanted to win that week. And he deprived the other dog. And you know, that says so much about our struggle. 
Because the fact is, we do have two selves. And the one we feed is going to win. And the one we deprive is going to lose. In the news, you hear sometimes about pathetic conditions. Parents getting arrested because they find some seven-year-old kid locked in a closet. He's still alive. They've thrown him some scraps, but he's not at all what he should be. He's not thriving at all. And you know, there are Christians, and that's what their soul looks like. That's what their the new man looks like. Because they don't do anything to take care of it. They don't do anything to cultivate. They don't do anything to flirt, to nourish their soul in Christ. We have two natures. The sinful nature of the old man and the new nature that Christ has worked in us by his spirit. We need to cultivate that new nature. We need to invest in it. We need to do things that encourage its growth. I want to finish by reading Ephesians 4, 22 to to 24. So put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the miraculous work that you do to draw sinners to yourself. Thank you for the work that you've done in our hearts. And we celebrate and we give thanks, O Lord. Where would we be without Christ? We can't imagine. We pray this morning, O Lord, knowing that there are people in this room right now who are still dead in sin. And we pray for them, O Lord. We pray that by your mercy and by your grace, you would transform their hearts and draw them to yourself. We pray, dear Lord, that you'd put it on their hearts to be troubled by the danger that they're in. And we pray also that you would show them the glory of the love of Christ and the forgiveness he accomplished on the cross. And may they, Lord, find their true home in you. And now as we come to the sacrament, we come, O Lord, eager to receive what you have for us eager to open ourselves and take in all that you have done for us in Christ. 
we pray that you would meet us here and feed us here from yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.